I love you guys. You're so encouraging. I mean, I've gotten lots of encouragement, which is like really good. Then it can also be a little stressful. But anyway, it's all good, man. I'm happy to be here. It's, it's an honor to get to speak on Father's Day. I did want to say I'm struggling with sin right now, though. Because I think it's a sin to eat a cookie in the church sanctuary. So I really appreciate y'all setting me up. But I'm resisting right now. And I'm not looking at anybody else. So if you gave in, I don't know. We didn't do that. Anyway, you know, I have, uh, you know, I, I got to lead a church for about eight years up in Yucca Valley. And I preached a lot. And so I have preached many Father's Day sermons. And then this one just has really kind of got me a little bit wound up. And I've been trying to think about what it is. And one, I love the fact that we're having these conversations at church about who God is and how much he loves us and what we mean to him. So that can fight the demons that go on in our heads. And I'm going to continue on that theme just so you know. That's, that's right where I'm at today too. But the other thing is, you guys have watched me parent my kids for decades. Many of you have. And I have watched you parent yours. And we, there has been some good, bad, and ugly and all that, hasn't there? And so um, parenting is, is kind of an interesting thing. So, you know, there's a lot of journey. You know, there's a lot of path we've walked down this road here together. So, I don't know. I, I'm just happy to get to talk about you. I feel like a little bit of weight there with that. You know, my goal whenever... Um, I speak to anybody, whether it's my family group or just in anybody talking about God, is to help you navigate your relationship with God. That's, that's really what I want to do. I want to help you work this thing out between you and God as I work it out between me and God. And that's kind of just the goal that, that I'm trying to do. Now, the name of my lesson is Redemptive Fatherhood. That's kind of a religious name a little bit, right? But... You know, um, I like that word redemptive because it's kind of along the line that, you know, God always provides ways for us to get back on track. And boy, dads need that. I know everybody needs it in their life. But we have this habit of constantly getting on the off-ramp of anger or resentment or frustration or self-centeredness, and we need a way to get back into our children's lives. And God is a redemptive God, right? He is always providing a way. He's not just holding the standards up of what it means to be a Christian. That's, that's, that's important, but what's really important is for you to find a way back when you get lost, because we all do, right? You know, I have a couple of thoughts and beliefs that... Um, that remind me, I, I think one, I, I know who God has called me to be as a dad, and I've always wanted to be that since I've become a Christian, ever since my kids were born. But I've also grown up around some pretty amazing parents in this church, and that has inspired me as well. And, and really, nothing probably has inspired me as much as my own kids. I mean, that's just who you want to be for, right? I mean, it's who you want to be your best for. That's why it hurts so bad when you blow it with them. But, you know, I mean, I've just really been wanting to be this great dad. And I just wanted to say that I, I'm pretty happy. My kids still like me. I, I, I do, the, I do the, the geographic test with my children. They still are around. 
and they're grown, and they don't have to be. So I figure, all right, I'm doing okay right there. They still hang out. They still come around, and I don't think it's just money. So I'm feeling like I'm doing pretty good, but I just want to say Christianity or fatherhood, you know, Christianity is a team sport. And learning how to be a good dad, you need a lot of help. You just got to get a lot of help. You got good examples, bad examples, discipling. You know, a lot of training has gone on, and I'm just so grateful for all of this body of believers right here in the desert city because I would not be able to stand up here and even take a shot at a lesson like this today if it wasn't for all of you. So I just wanted to say that. I want to define redemption a little bit because I think words need to be defined. We say a lot of words in our society today, and they mean different things to different people, right? So redemption, it's got, I'm going to give you a couple different definitions here. One, redemption, you know, we all seen on the bottom of the Coke can, right? Cal redemption value on it back, right? That's the money you give for the can to get back to where it's supposed to go, right? That's not a bad definition, but it's the act of saving what was lost or regaining what has gotten away from what it should have been. God is a redemptive God because he's all about regaining what was lost us and putting us back on the way things should be. Fatherhood needs to be redemptive because it doesn't always come out the way it's supposed to. And we need God to bring us back and put us back on the path of what we need to be. The other part of it is also, um, could be said to say, to rescue, clear, or satisfy a debt. That's redemption, right? Somebody pays the way, takes, takes care of your debt, and clears it for you so you are no longer under that burden or under that sentence, or under that debt. That is redemption. But it's only half of it. Because the other half of redemption is not only just to clear up what was wrong, but to also bring us into a life of peace and happiness and joy that God intends for our lives. I'm not saying, when I say peace, happiness, and joy, I ain't mean a life that is devoid of struggle. I'm not talking about that. But the second half of redemption is not just to clear up what you did bad, but to give you what is good. And that is what redemption means. It's, it's important to me about this because I am not the guy with the amazing dad stories. I think um, Danielle kind of said today, everybody's here in a different spot, right? Everybody's had some interaction with fatherhood, right? Or else you're not breathing, right? But there's all kinds of different situations in this room. Some have had amazing dads. Some have have had really challenging situations with their dads. Some have had absent dads. Some have been great dads. Some have not been great dads. Whatever that looks like. But we're all coming at this from different situations. But my childhood was full of a lot of brokenness and pain. And I'm not sharing that to like, get sympathy. I'm just sharing that because that's just the reality of my situation. So what does that mean? That means I didn't know squat about how to raise a kid. That means I had no, no help, no background, no training, no examples that really, and, I, and, I, and God bless my parents, they did the best they could for the situation they were in, but I just did not know. And so for me to have a shot at being a good dad without any of the things that you would think you would need was a pretty long shot. But God is a redemptive God, right? And, and I, I just want to clear something up about redemption. Redemption doesn't mean that you didn't know what you're doing, now you know what you're doing, now everything's hunky-dory from here on out. It's more of a journey, right? Redemption is a long process 
of clearing the mistakes, putting you on the right path, making some more mistakes, putting you on the right path, learning from that mistake, putting you on the right path. It's kind of wonky, and it takes a lot of time. I hope nobody thinks that, you know, they can become a Christian and do a couple parenting classes, and they should be an amazing dad. It's just, I, I mean, there's just too much out there to even get into that. It's a long process, and we have been going through this thing together. And I'm just grateful that God is very compassionate and very patient. My kids are very patient. Um, they need redemption as much as I do. But, um, you know, that's just kind of where I'm coming from. Um, so my hope is, in, the, in this lesson today in redemptiveness and redemptive fatherhood, is one, is that you can have the hope, and I know many of you do, but it cannot be said enough. I, I, I told myself the next time I got a chance to preach in front of the church, I was going to preach the gospel. And the gospel, to me, is that God, that Jesus Christ really can and does change lives. He does. I mean, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just talking about my experiences here. I would not be standing here if it was not for Jesus Christ. And I would not have the opportunity to talk about my kids with all the warts and ugliness that I'll have, but all the great things today if it was not for Jesus Christ. He does change lives. And people, I want people to believe that. Now, I can tell you that all day long, but I'm just going to share my story. Because maybe if you see it in me, you can see it in you. And there's a hundred of those stories in this room right here. And so no matter what happens in your life, no matter what path you get on, Jesus Christ can change the direction. There's always hope. There's always hope for redemption. All right? I want you to believe that. And then, in another way of just saying this, is we do not have to let our painful pasts control our futures. They're there. The pain is there. I mean, I, I mean I'm 55 years old. I haven't been, I, I mean, I got booted out when I was 17. That's a lot of years. But I carry that pain around with me like it was yesterday. And I'm a lot better at carrying it than I used to be. My backpack has been rearranged much better. Used to, I used to walk like this. Now I walk like this, you know, and I help some other people arrange their backpacks so they can carry their pain. Right? And, of course, Jesus takes our pain. But it doesn't always, it kind of sticks with you, doesn't it? And if you're not careful, there's a lot of areas. This isn't just in parenting. This isn't just in your upbringing. There's so much pain in life. So, much, so many things happen. And they control what happens next in our lives. And that's just kind of part of being a human. But I just want to say that because of the gospel, our pain does not have to control our futures. And I feel like the pain of my childhood, I'm already at the end of the lesson. I haven't even read a scripture yet. I'm going to get to the scripture, so. You should start at the beginning and end at the end and be in the middle in the middle, but I'm kind of all mixed around today, so. I'm where I am because the past, the painful past has not won the future. It's colored it, but it has not won the day. And that's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read, this is, this is, you know, for context, you know, I've been really trying in my scripture reading, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, you get so passionate about serving God and you want to help people. A lot of times you'll read a scripture and run right to personal application. But I just want to give you context first, right? Let's just read the scripture for what it says in context. Let's think about what it meant to the people it was originally written to. Then let's get to us, okay? 
But here's Jesus, and, and I know you guys know, many of you know this scripture, maybe you don't. Probably not going to be a new scripture, but Jesus is baptized by John in the wilderness. He goes into the desert for 40 days to be tested. He passed the test. Hallelujah, right? And he comes back and he goes to his hometown. And he goes into the synagogue. And this is what happens, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up and read to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Now I'm going to stop reading, but if you keep reading, you'll see that this, uh, all these good feelings and emotions take a quick right turn here as the scripture goes on. And he really upsets some people and they want to do damage to him. But I wanted to read this section in 18 through 19. You know, as they were reading Psalm 68 today, I was like, man, that sounds an awful lot like Luke 4 that we were reading today. And as they were proclaiming, this is God's heart towards us. You know, I mean, really what we want to do anytime is we want to proclaim who God is, but also how he feels about you. And this, that was Psalm 68 today. That is how God feels about you. It's so easy in Christianity to think about how God feels about other people. But so many times it's so hard to internalize how God feels about each one of us. And I say that as a person who struggled with that, with really being able to accept it. And, of course, coming from a broken family, it kind of makes sense, right? You had a dad maybe that didn't say a whole lot or what he did said, you better look out. It's going to be hard to hear that, how, that God feels good about you. That God likes you. You know, that can be a very difficult thing. So what I want to do is I want to break this scripture down a little bit, right? So verse 18, the spirit of the Lord on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is just the gospel to me, right? It's not the complete gospel, but it is, it is really good news, right? Good news to the poor, right? Whatever, the good news I think is what, is what I've already said. God can change your life. He can. He can do it if you believe it, if you trust him. That was the good news that Jesus proclaimed. So that means whatever course you are on right now, you are not doomed to it. And I'm sharing my story because I was on a specific course in my life. And it wasn't like I haven't made some mistakes on this new course I'm on. It's been pretty messy at times. But I was not doomed to the path that I was on. All right? God is about restoring things to what he intended to be, and his intent was peace and goodness. Can I hear this? Can you hear this in your life? Are you able to receive what Jesus is saying to us? That God's intent is to restore and redeem you, and his intent is peace and goodness because he loves you, and he likes you, and he sees you as good. Can you hear that? 
that's almost the bigger question. Like, you can understand the gospel, but can you hear it? That's the challenge for the scripture. And sometimes that takes a while, you guys. So, like, if you think you're supposed to, like, just get zapped right now and walk out of here and everything's different for you, I mean, I hope so. It happens. But this is probably a journey of hearing this. Hearing sometimes is a journey. Seeing is a journey, as we'll see in a minute here a little bit, okay? I believe it's because it's been my experience, like I've said, and I'm not exaggerating, that God has changed my life. I have come to a place after 23, 24 years of being a Christian that God actually can change your life. I mean, I I believed it at my conversion, but there was always this nagging belief that I was going to go back. But a couple decades in and many victories and a lot of failures, way more failures than victories, I really, really believe that God can change my life. And I can face what's next with hope because I believe that good news. The good news, God has sent Jesus to bring the good news to the, to the poor. I'm going to say poor in hope. Is it poor in money? Probably. Probably poor in a lot of things. Are you poor in self-worth? Are you, are you rich in pain and poor in joy? You know, are you poor in hope? I don't know about you. If I lose hope, I, I lose energy. I lose motivation. If I don't think things can be different, they usually aren't. And if I think things can be different, it doesn't seem to matter what obstacles I come up against. Somehow, some way, they happen. My wife jokes at me. She's like, if you want something bad enough, it happens. I've got this crazy scheme going right now that's pretty far-fetched. And she's, she's like, oh, you'll do it. Because when I have hope, I'm motivated. People were without hope at this time. And they were, they were, they were in religion, you guys. They were in a very religious circumstance. They were in the synagogue. But they had lost belief that their lives could be different. You know, um, it says right here, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. I love, I love freedom. It kind of fits with the same theme. I'm going to say freedom in the fact that God wants to break us out of the patterns that can sometimes become our lives. We get into patterns, right? They're like ruts. You know what a rut is, right? The old joke, rut is a grave with both ends blown out. But, you know, I ride dirt bikes, so, you know, a rut is a bad thing. You get that front tire in there, it'll just take you wherever that rut's going. And there can be certain things that can happen in our lives that can be very ruddy. But God wants to break us out of the ruts and patterns of our lives that are destructive to our relationships. I came, I grew up with ruts in my life. I went into the world with ruts into my life. I was married with these ruts. I brought them into my relationship. Just want you to know, no matter where you go, you go with you. Right? It's just the way it is, you guys. We, we, it's so easy to get into this, the other person's fault, right? But the reality is you take you pretty much everywhere. So I brought into this life, into my marriage, and into my parenting, these patterns that were destructive. And I took them with me. And I'm so grateful that Jesus came to bring freedom to the prisoners because I was imprisoned by those patterns and habits of my life. And I don't think I'm the only one in here who knows this story. 
many of you have been imprisoned by patterns and habits. And, and again, here's the thing about it. I, you know, we like to do religion and Christianity like it's all, this is the issue. We, we identified it. Here's the scripture. You've met God. It's all done. Now, those ruts take a long time to get out of sometimes. They have a gravitational pull to them, and we struggle with them. You know, I mean, if you were, a, if you were kind of a bitter person before you became a Christian, you probably still are. If you're a critical person, you probably still are, right? But it doesn't have to define you. God has, wants to bring freedom to the prisoners. I was, had no clue how to be a dad. And again, I'm not sitting here acting like I'm the world's best dad. Okay? I am not. I'm pretty happy. I don't have regrets about it. I mean, I got some, but not on the overall picture of what it means to be a dad. All right? All right. We are locked down by all sorts of pain and experiences and habits. Oh, and I did notice something in the scripture. It's not your job to get yourself out of jail. I didn't, hadn't really caught that in the scriptures before. I mean, sometimes I can approach my Christianity as Jesus has died for me. Now I better get the rest figured out. But really, as I look back on the, on the journey I've been on, God has really... He's the one that's gotten me out of a lot of sticky situations that I got myself into. God is the one that sets us free from the prisons. I'm not saying you don't have to do stuff. You do. Probably more stuff than you want to do. But this is not all on you. That would be overwhelming for me if God did that to me. But he doesn't, and that's just not been my experience in all these things that I've been through in my life. Our part is to trust and believe. It says, and recovery of sight for the blind. Is the sight physical? Yes. Did Jesus heal blind people all the time? Sometimes he spit on them. That was pretty interesting. I've seen a few of those. Sometimes he spit in the mud. One time he just spit right in the dude's eye. We were reading that last weekend. We're like, okay. Why? I don't know. I mean, he wanted to make him see, but I mean, that was kind of a weird thing. But <clears throat> I think sight is much more than physical. It's kind of like what I've already mentioned. It's when you lose perspective. It's when you stop believing in God's goodness. It's when you lose sight of the value of the cross and, the, and how much God loves you. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we are really good and we believe God really feels good about us, but sometimes we muck it up so bad or we get so lukewarm that we really begin to doubt. And that's when our sight gets really bad. The funny thing about sight is that it's easy to lose and hard to get back. It really is, it's really hard to get back. It's funny. It's interesting how Jesus in this thing doesn't really offer to help us with the easy stuff here. He's offering to help us with what's really difficult. You know, um, that hopeful and faithful per- perspective is a tough thing to regain, and, and uh, Satan is always worn warring against it but that's why the gospel is not just for the lost it's for us because there has been some really difficult times in my parenting there's been some really difficult times in my life when i had to preach the good news to myself because my negativity was winning and i love that jesus that he preaches the good news is recovery of sight for the blind because it's not just for those that aren't christians you know, and then finally to set the oppressed free. 
There's that freedom thing again. Jesus seems to be about freedom here, doesn't he? The gospel seems to be about freedom. If you got a gospel going and it seems to be more of a burden, there might be a sight issue going on there. Right? And, and I'll be honest, religion sometimes can help you <laughs> be more burdened. But that's not what we want. That's, not, that's when we corrupt the gospel, right? Oppressed by what? Your past, that's what I've already mentioned. Perspectives, I've mentioned that too. Lack of training or examples. Sometimes that can be oppressive. How about independent thinking and the inclination to hide? Those can, those can oppress you. They can keep you down. How about, you know, I've been reading uh, Changes That Heal from Henry Cloud. How about unlearned bonding? There wasn't a whole lot of bonding going on in my household. So when I needed to learn how to bond with my kids, I was pretty stinky at it. It's not an easy thing. But you've got to learn to bond so you can learn to separate. And that can be a very oppressive thing, not knowing how to be close. You can live in the same house with somebody and not be super close with them. Right? And so God wants to set us free from that thing. There are many oppressors in our lives. And then finally, the last verse to proclaim the year of the God's favor. So I looked up favor. It means approval and support. The year of God's approval and support. When God's favor rests on you, you have God's approval and support. If you haven't had a lot of approval and support in your life, I just want you to know that God approves and supports you. And we need to know that. And if your heart and your brain are telling you other things, then you and your brain and heart need to have a discussion because you're in disagreement with God. But the year of the Lord's favor is the year of God's approval and support. God really wants you to know how he feels about you and what he can and wants to do in your life. And that's what Jesus is saying right here. Now, I've unpacked the scripture, but I want to relate the scripture a little bit personally to my, per- to my own parenting, and I've already done a bunch of it. So I always have to apologize to my family. Sorry, you guys, if I embarrass you. Preachers have a habit of saying too much, using their family for examples. Throwing their wife under the bus occasionally. It happens. We're trying to make a point so bad, right? So I'm apologizing ahead of time. I don't think I'm going to do this here, but I'm going to try not to really bad. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do anything that hurts more than helps. But so many times in our intention to do good, we hurt. And that part of the redemptive part of God is he lets us keep working on that. You know, Genesis chapter 1, God made the world and saw that it was good. God made man and woman and said that they were very good. I held my children in my arms for the first time, and I saw them, and I knew they were good. I didn't know a whole lot else that was going to happen, but I knew this was good. All of us need to accept that we are of great value and great worth. To our dads. We are of great value. I know there's probably a lot of things dads have done that don't communicate that message. But we are of great value and great worth. Just like, you know, if you start your Bible in Genesis chapter 1, you do okay. But if you start your Bible in Genesis chapter 3, you're starting off in the wrong place. Because if you start off with your good, 
then you can handle the mistakes. But if you start off with your bad, then you spend your whole life trying to be good when you already are. I really, really wanted my kids to know at their core, no matter what happens in our lives, that they are of incredible value to me, that they are good. It is good. The bad stuff, it's good. The good stuff, it's good. But they're good. When we lose our belief and our loved goodness, I'm going to call it loved goodness, we go bad places. I know from my own life when I've lost my way with how God feels about me, I go bad places. When we don't think people love us, we lose our value, our inherent worth. We go bad places. Many mistakes I've made in parenting in my life have been when I was trying to make myself good as opposed to knowing that I am good and how God feels about me. It's one of the reasons I preach about how God feels about you all the time because I'm preaching to myself. And if I forget how God feels about me, I will get all legalistic and I will all get works-based in my spirituality and I will try to earn this thing. I'll put my song and dance shoes on and I'll try to be the best Christian you ever saw. And the problem is it's not real. But if I know I'm good, then I can be vulnerable. If I know God loves me, I can, I can be real. I can accept that this has not been the glorious journey that I thought my Christianity was going to be. <laughs> it has been glorious, but not all glorious. Because that's what life is, that's what it really is like for all of us. We go through junk. But if we know we are loved, if we know God says, you, I made you and you are very good, then we can get through it in a lot better way. God is on a mission to restore and redeem our vision of ourselves and how he feels about us. That is Jesus Christ. And I, and my job is to make sure my kids know no matter what goes down, that they are good and they are loved, no matter what happens. Because if they know that, they can face what happens next. I've made a million mistakes in my years of being their dad, and I know they've made many mistakes too. But none of those take away from the core view I have of them. And right now, my job is just to fight to remind them of that every chance I get. And I want to remind us of that as a church, about how God feels about us as well. And then I want to say this, and this is to my kids, but this is to everybody who's dealt with me over the years. You know, I came into my beginnings of the spiritual journey with a little bit of a thought process of thinking that, all right, I've learned the gospel, and I founded my faith, and now I just need to hold on to it. I've got it. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. Everybody's trying to take it away from me. Satan's against me, my own sinful nature. I just got to fight to hold on to my faith. It was more of a hold and control type of a perspective. I think that probably was pretty stifling for those around me. I'm sure it was stifling for my kids. I always wanted to seem like I had all the answers. But it's different now. I feel like, I hope, hope, I hope people would think that too. 
I realize that I still possess my faith and the foundations of it, but I am on a long journey of understanding what I got. I got it, but I'm not so sure I know exactly what I got sometimes. I know it's good. I've got a lot to grow in, but I'm saying this because I want the invitation to this life to be one of room and space. I don't want the invitation to this life to be one of rigidity and narrowness. And sometimes in my in my all my fervor to hold on to what I have, I can come across that way. Pressure and rigidity have hurt at times. Control breeds rebellion. That is true. The more fear you get, the more controlling you get, the more rebellion you encounter. The more fearful you get, the more controlling you get, the more rebellion you encounter. It's a vicious cycle. I mean, I played that game. I don't have it all figured out, but I want anyone trusting Jesus to have the same compassion and patience that he has had with me. Ultimately, I do feel like I got to be the dad I could only dream of. I got to have the kids I could only have dreamed of. And we have had awesome times. And we still are. There is no way this should have happened the way the deck was stacked against me. And that's why I'm calling it redemptive fatherhood. It just shouldn't have happened, you guys. The only reason it happened. Well, I had an awesome wife. But with all the dysfunction and ignorance and arrogance and pain, because God is a redemptive God. And he redeemed my fatherhood and set me on a restored path. The scriptures really are true. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday.